Good morning, first service. How are y'all doing this morning? All right, would y'all stand up? Find some people around you you may not know. Greet them. Let them be. <laughs> let them feel welcome this morning, and then we'll start to worship together.
seated. Morning, welcome to Shelby Christian Church. It's so wonderful to see all of you here on a bright Sunday morning. Um, you all missed last night. We had a great time in our marriage event. I haven't laughed that hard in so long. We just laughed, I think, for an hour straight. It was hysterical. Uh, we had a good time last night, um, but it's good to see all of you here. Glad you decided to join us this morning in worship. Even if you're online this morning, welcome as well. In the waning days in 1945 of um, World War II, the light cruiser of the USS Indianapolis was going from Guam to the Philippines when it was torpedoed. It was torpedoed so quickly, there was only 12 minutes between the time it was hit before it sank. Luckily, 900 of its men were able to get out of the boat and into the water. But after 96 hours of being in the water, the sharks came and began to pick the men off one by one. And this so happens that a young lieutenant named Wilbur Glenn was flying his Lockheed Ventura and happened to spot the men. And because they had sunk so quickly, they were not able to put a radio distress out. So nobody even knew they were missing. So the fact that he saw these men was a miracle in the water. And so he circled around them and he, they dropped things out of the plane that might help the men in the water. And he waited there until ships began to show up to be able to rescue these men. He decided later on that he would go by the naval hospital and visit the men that had made it out of the water. And out of the 900 that got out, only 312 made it. And as he walked into the room, one of the doctors saw him and said, Hey, boys, this is the guy that found you. And they all cheered. And every year since then, the men of the Indianapolis have gathered together to celebrate the one that had found them. There are only five of them left now. But those men still celebrate the one who found them. Jesus said he came to seek and to save those that were lost. Now, we were all lost at one point. And as we come to this table this morning, I pray that you remember the one who found you, who came and found you when you were lost in your sin. For he is the one who truly saves. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you. We just thank you this morning for being able to be in this place, to have the freedom to come to ring our voices and raise our hands and shout hallelujah and just say how great and awesome you are. We are just so blessed to have that opportunity. And we thank you for the men and the women that went before us who died and gave their lives for us to have the freedom to be there. And Father, this morning we pray for our troops that are all over this world protecting freedom. And Father, this morning we pray that your Holy Spirit would just be present in this place. That your Spirit would just flow free. Please anoint Ethan and the worship team as they continue to lead us in worship. Anoint Pastor Dave as he comes and speaks to us this morning. We love you, and we know how much you love us because you gave us your son. We offer all these things in the mighty name of Jesus.
Just paint it all and all to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, he washed in white as snow. Sin hath left a crimson stain, he washed in white as
Y'all can grab a seat. We got another epic story. I wonder if you can figure out which one it is today. How many of you have siblings? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are the older sibling? How many of you are the younger sibling, youngest sibling? How many of you fall somewhere in the middle of all that in your family? Do you know there's actually a book? that was written by a guy named Kevin Lehman that's called the Birth Order Book that describes the way kids act based on their birth order. It describes the tendencies of 
older children and of middle children and of younger children. How many parents, those of us that are parents, have ever walked into a room in the middle of a sibling rivalry and asked the question either in our mind or maybe verbally, what are you guys doing? Why are you doing that? Well, there are some reasons why we do that. Maybe you've wondered it about yourself and your own siblings at some time in your life. In fact, here's some, just some basic things that that book tells us. It says, firstborn children tend to be reliable, conscientious, structured, cautious, controlling, and achieving. And all of us firstborn children said, of course. Right? Middle children, it says tend to be people pleasers, somewhat rebellious, thriving on friendships, have a large social circle, and they're peacemakers. They're, having, they're always having to make peace between the older sibling and the younger siblings. The youngest child tends to be fun-loving, uncomplicated, manipulative, outgoing, attention-seeking, and self-centered. Eli and Peyton Manning both had incredible, incredible NFL careers. And now they're going to do probably even better uh, with the stuff they're doing on TV, as far as better financially, as the stuff they're doing on TV. They're both amazing players. Each won two Super Bowls, but they only played in three games against each other. Guess who won? Big Brother won all three times. Peyton won all three times. Sometimes sibling rivalries are lighthearted and funny. Sometimes they're pretty intense, but sometimes, sometimes they take a really dark turn, like this epic story in Genesis chapter 4. I don't know if you, by nature, growing up as a kid or even today, are a person that is a natural fighter, you just want to step into the conflict, or if you are that one that wants to curl up in a ball and kind of go amoeba in that situation, whether physical, verbal, whatever, people get hurt physically and emotionally when we fight. And in the most extreme cases, people die when we fight. And, and like in our epic story today about the first recorded fight in Scripture that led to murder, the first murder found. If you've got your Bibles in Genesis chapter 4, that's where we're going to be. There's some other Scriptures we'll talk about, but really Genesis 4 is where we're going to be all morning. Genesis 4, starting in verse 8, I'm going to skip down to verse 8. It says, one day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel? Did you notice that in the video? That was Archie Manning, the Hall of Famer that, that, that Eli got in the car with after locking Peyton in, in the closet. And Archie's question, where's your brother? I don't know. God asked Cain, where's your brother? I don't know. Some translations right there, some translations in verse 9 and 10 in that middle part there actually have this question written in there. Am I my brother's keeper? Man, we love 
use that when we don't think we're at fault, right? When, when it's somebody else, man, it's just like, yeah, just talk to them. It's not my, not my problem, not my fault. There, there's a critically profound, deep answer to that question. I, I've, been, I've been really studying this week. I've been digging in deep to that question, am I my brother's keeper? And there is a pretty deep, long answer to that question. So if you've got a pen, get ready. I'm going to give you that, the answer to that question. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. That's all you need to know. Yes. From a biblical standpoint, that's the answer to the question today, am I my brother's keeper? Okay, let's go change the world and get out of here. You know what you need to know. If, if we could live that out in the way that Scripture talks about, it would be amazing. Last week, Jason walked us through Genesis 3, and I thought he did a tremendous job talking about how sin entered the world. And how Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And then he gave us three really great uh, realities of what happened because of rebellion. He told us that rebellion led to distrust. It always does. That rebellion, uh, rebellion ruptured relationships. It always does. And that rebellion, this is the biggie, that rebellion had consequences early in in scripture here in these epic stories in genesis we are finding out in many cases that our decisions have consequences we saw it last week with adam and eve we'll, we'll see it today with cain and abel we'll see it next week as we dig into the flood and then the final week as we look at the tower of babel that decisions people were making all have consequences they always have and they always will but but this is seemingly a quantum leap here from last week last week where we saw adam and eve rebel distrust god and eat some fruit to killing someone that's that seems like a quantum leap but it's really not because at the heart of it is still that I know what I should do, but I'm going to choose to do what I want to do. Have you ever been in that choice? You ever found yourself in that moment? I know what I should do, but it's not what I want to do, so this is what I'm going to do. And when it comes to sibling rivalries, it's tough. Not only, I was thinking about this this week, not only was Cain the firstborn of Adam and Eve, I mean, think about it, Cain and Abel, they are the first two people born in history, Adam and Eve were created by God. Cain and Abel were born, just like you and I were born. Not only was the Cain the older brother, he was the firstborn of all creation. Can, can you imagine that discussion? Talk about a superiority complex. Not only did he have, I'm the oldest in his bag, he had, I'm the first in his bag and he wanted to be top dog and so there's this this horrific moment that we read about all through genesis chapter four from from the, from the beginning of time brothers would be brothers all right so there here's these two brothers cain as he grows up he becomes a man he becomes a farmer he raises crops he works and and does all that abel 
is a farmer, but he raises livestock. He takes care of the animals, cares for them, raises animals. I, I wonder, have you ever wondered why Cain and then Abel brought gifts to God? If you go back and read before Genesis 4, there is no command from God that we have recorded for them to bring any kind of gifts of what they had. It seems to be a natural outpouring of thankfulness. So before we beat up on Cain too badly to start with, something in him as he is farming the land, raising crops, something in him said be thankful and give an offering to God for what you have. See, when, I, I, think, I think there's a lesson for us to learn right there. A, a lesson, an important lesson to learn. Because when a person wants to argue and debate over the necessity of tithing or the percentage of tithing, they've missed, they've totally missed the opportunity of thankfulness. Something inside of Cain in this moment is thankful for what God has allowed him to do, and he brings an offering. And when we want to ba debate about whether tithing is from the gross or the net, we, we obviously haven't learned a lesson from Cain and Abel. Because while Cain brought an offering, the real issue here is the gift of some crops versus the gift of the best of. The leftovers versus the first. See, Abel gave the first and the best. Cain gave the leftovers. Let's stop for a moment and think about your own life. Uh, are we really good at giving the best? It, it, it's not too hard to give the leftovers. I, I mean, it's, it's not even really that hard to like go through the closets and go through the garage and go through the attic or wherever you go and once or twice a year to get a load of stuff and take it to Goodwill, take it to Operation Care, drop it off somewhere because we can feel good about sharing. But let's be honest, what did we just share? We shared the leftovers, didn't we? In fact, not only the leftovers, we shared the I don't want this anymores. And we want to feel good about that. It's great that we do it. But what about this idea of sharing from the top of the best? I think that the real struggle that these brothers had, I think the real struggle that Cain had was with his relationship with God. And he let it spill over to his brother. What, what, what Cain was really upset about was that as the gifts were given, God praised Abel's gift and he questioned Cain's gift based on this idea of the first fruit versus the leftovers. And so when you break it down, who was Cain really mad at? He's mad at God. Because God is the one who gave that, that response and can't go kill God. And so I'm going to take it out on my brother. How many times do we take things out on our brother? that really is an issue that we have in our own heart. Cain had an issue in his own heart that he didn't want to give of the best. He was, he was upset that 
that Abel got rewarded for that. I, I, I wonder, I've always wondered this. Big brother, once again, big brothers, older brother and sisters in the room, you see your hand, all right? You ever, ever fought with your younger ones, right? All right? Was anybody else in your neighborhood allowed to touch your younger brother or sister? Absolutely not. Now, we can go at it cats and dogs, but you come after them, now you, now you got to deal with me too. I wonder how Cain would have responded if another kid from the neighborhood had attacked his brother and tried to kill him. Now, wait, <laughs> there weren't any other kids in the neighborhood, were there? I wonder how Cain responded to Seth later on when he did have another brother. It's almost every case, though, that no one else can touch that one, but if they tick me off, it's all on. First John chapter 3, verse 11 says this. It says, this message you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. We must not be like Cain, who belonged, man, this is tough, who belonged to the evil one. Come on, John, that's, that's some pretty tough language right there. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. I'm not even completely sure if I understand John's analysis there. I think Cain just got messed up. But either way, he allowed his jealousy he allowed his frustration, he allowed his anger to go somewhere that the evil one was able to use it and cause the very first murder that we have recorded in history. In Hebrews chapter 11, though, in verse 4, it says, It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man. God showed his approval of his gifts, although, his, although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us as his example or through his example of faith. We live in very difficult times. There's not a one of us that are here today that is shocked by that statement. We know that. We live in very difficult times. We can look around and we can talk about, we can pray about, we can hope for, we can think about the way things used to be. But even the way things are, we are blessed. We are blessed. And we need to understand that. We are blessed. And because of that blessing, we need to be willing to share of that blessing and at times not share of the leftovers but share off the top of the first fruits it starts with our tithing and giving to God but it also spills over into how we keep our brothers how we care for those around us so that first sibling rivalry actually leads to the first murder. Cain's jealousy of Abel led to horrific ending. You know, it's interesting though, it's interesting because just as 
when we go back and we read the previous narrative that we have from God, just as there is no command that has been given yet to give, to tithe, to bring first fruits, it was just seemingly a natural response to give, there has not been any requirement or forbiddance of murder. We haven't gotten any commandments yet. Moses hadn't been up on the mountaintop to receive the tablets, tablets that officially said, Thou shalt not murder. But Cain, Cain instinctively knew. I want you to notice as you read through and as you see this story, Cain instinctively knew that what he had done was wrong. Let's be honest. Don't we usually instinctively know when we've done something wrong isn't there something in us that instinctively knows i shouldn't have done that especially for those of us who have accepted jesus christ as our savior and have had the blessing of the holy spirit coming to live inside of us that is no longer just that that conscience thing that we talk about no this is god living in us it's amazing to me as I, as I deal with people in recovery how many times someone that has started down a path to recovery and as part of that path to recovery for the first time in their life has truly accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They've been baptized. They've been indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And then there's an event that happens in their life and they go back out and they use whatever substance they had used before and then they come to us and say, it just didn't feel the same. In fact, they almost always come and tell on themselves because the Holy Spirit's living in them now. There's a conviction. No, they instinctively now know this is something I don't need to do. I'm convinced that most of us, almost everyone instinctively knows when we've done wrong. Cain instinctively knew. There was no law against it. But as soon as he's confronted, he's hiding. And we, we, we begin to hide because what had happened was, what had happened was, if you go back just a few pages in your scripture, and you go back from Genesis 4, and you look in Genesis 1, and you look in verse 27, and what's it say? And God said, let us create man in our own image the trifold trinity god father son holy spirit let us make god make man in our image put our image hmm maybe that's where they instinctively knew what they had done was wrong was because they cain had been created in the image of god just like you and i he, he instinctively knew he may not have given the command god may not have given the command yet but he had created us to know when we were out of line with his image. I think it's also interesting. We talk about this first murder. I think it's also interesting that our law, our law is more lenient in its punishment if the death of an individual is not caused intentionally. If it was an accident or even if it was just a fit of rage, that's viewed differently than if somebody premeditatedly goes out and kills someone. This situation was no doubt premeditated. 
It was intentional. That's what Scripture says. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. He had made a plan. What he was going to do was intentional. And, and then God asked him, where's your brother? Where's Abel? And then you see the response at the end of verse 9. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what have you done? Come on, parents. Have you ever asked your kid that? Your child that? When you already knew the answer? <laughs> when you already knew what they had done? And there, but there's that, okay, I'm, I'm giving you a chance to kind of come clean here. Here's, here's the moment of truth. You want to, like, be honest with me? You want to tell me what you've done? Because inside information, I already know. God said, what have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And Cain invites his brother to a location with the full intent of killing him. Why? All because of jealousy. All because he didn't get the same reward or the same, the, the same compliments, the same affirmation that Abel had gotten because of his. And rather than go out and work harder next year, Rather than make a commitment to say, I'm going to do better next time, rather than to, to climb the ladder along with Abel and say, I want to do this the way that you did this, it's always easier to grab that other person's ankle and pull them down than to climb up to their level. And that's exactly what Cain did. And so finally we see the continued consequences of sin. Jay, uh, Jay Spreedman said, Choices made whether bad or good, follow you forever and affect everyone in their path one way or another. That's what we've seen here in these early epic stories from Scripture. Adam and Eve had found that there were consequences to disobeying God, and it followed them and all generations after them. Skip down, down to verse 11 in our text there in Genesis 4. God continues to talk to Cain. He says, now you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. And Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment or the consequence is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wonder. Anyone who finds me will kill me. Cain is saying, God, I can't, I can't deal with this, God. This, this is too much. But I want you to see, I want you to see the love of God. One of the greatest verses in this whole story is in verse 15. He's, the Lord replied, No, for I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. But Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod of Eden. Cain suffered dire consequences for this terrible, jealous decision that he made. Cain lost his job and he lost his family, which were the most valuable assets he had. He's scared to death because of the punishment it's so severe but god says look at this 
God says, I still love you enough that you have to deal with the consequences, but I will protect you. Do you see that in verse 15? God says, I will protect you. Nobody else can make you suffer consequences. I've taken care of this. You will be protected. Now, you're going to have to suffer. You've got, you've got to lose everything. But I still love you, and I'll still protect you. And so he left the Lord's presence at that moment. Wow. All because of an offering. I think there's some lessons to be learned. I'm going to give you four real quickly, and we'll be done, okay? The first lesson is this. God deserves our very best. It, it, it shouldn't have to be commanded. It should be instinctive. I think giving God our best, I think it's reflected in our decision to come to worship. I think it's reflected in the way that we sing during worship, during that part of a worship service. I think it's reflected in the way that we pray and the intensity in which we pray. I think it's reflected in how we dig into the Word. I think it's reflected in how we give our offering. I think it's reflected in how we serve in ministry in the church and outside of the walls. I think it's reflected in how we live every day of our life. God deserves our very best. Remember a few, a few weeks ago? Remember a few weeks ago when we talked about what we really deserve? What we really deserve? But based on our actions and based on our lifestyle and based on all of our choices, based on the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, what is it that we deserve? We deserve hell. But God in his mercy and grace has given us an opportunity. And so because of that, he deserves our very best, not so that we're earning something, but because of what's been freely given to us. What we earn, the wages of our sin, what we earn, we earn wages. And so the wages of our sin led to death. But this free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so God deserves our very best. It's a huge lesson. I think a second lesson is this. That sin, sin can consume us. Sin can eat us up. Look back at a portion of this text that we didn't read. It's in verse 7 of chapter 4, where it talks about what's going on in Cain's mind. And it says that sin is crouching at your door. Hmm. You know, the things that go on in our life, the times that we kind of lose control moments, the times that we're thinking about things that we don't need to be thinking about, there were places we don't need to be, where we're people we don't need to be with, and sin is just there crouching at our door. The burglar that's hiding in the bushes, crouching at the door. In Romans, Paul said this, Romans chapter 7, Paul said, I don't really understand for myself, My, I don't really understand myself, for what I want to do, I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Been there? Done that? Instead, I do what I hate. Ever done something and you're like, I can't believe I just did that. I, I, I can't, or maybe I can't believe I just did that 
again and again and again. And Paul talks about it in Romans 7. He says, but if I know what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. In other words, there, there's, if I know something's wrong, then I know that there is something that's good. Just that those two go together. If I, if I have this feeling I shouldn't be doing this, then instinctively there is something telling us there's something we should be doing, right? And so Paul says, if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, it shows that I agree the law is good, so I am not one doing wrong. It is what? Sin living in me that does it, crouching at the door. Sin can consume us. You know, you, you put yourself in a situation, you, you say, I'm just going to go hang out with my friends. I'm just going to go hang out with my neighbors. I'm just going to go with my coworkers. Nothing's going to happen. I'm going to be just fine. I got this. I got this. And sin is crouching in the door. Sin is crouching at everybody's door. Don't believe for one minute that it's not. You, you may have been a blood-bought, baptized believer in Jesus Christ for 70 years, and sin can still consume us. That is Satan's desire, and that's why it's so important to be connected. That's why Jesus, when, when Jesus is here, he, he said you can't get disconnected. If you're a branch, you can't get disconnected from the vine. You've got to stay connected because sin is always crouching at the door. And if we're not connected, sin can consume us. So God deserves our very best. Sin can consume us. The third lesson, God shows mercy. What's mercy? Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. But mercy is that I've got every reason, every reason to destroy you. And I'm going to punish you. That's what God told Cain. I'm going to punish you, but as I punish you, I'm also going to protect you. That's mercy. That's, that's a loving God. The whole interaction between Cain and God, I, I think it's so intriguing because the Old Testament is filled with stories of God's justice and vengeance. I, I remember back 30 years ago in the day of being a youth minister, some of the hardest times in, in children's church or in youth programs was when we were going over some of those Old Testament stories where thousands of people were destroyed in, in just a heartbeat, in a blink of an eye, and it's hard. But the Old Testament was full because God had to establish the law and what's right and wrong, and it's full of stories of God's justice and vengeance. There's wars of annihilation. There's divine retribution. Noah's flood that we'll talk about next week. Uh, it, over and over again, we see God trampling out the vengeance where the grapes of wrath are stored. Some of us know what I'm talking about, right? We see that. But here's a beautiful example of God's mercy. Cain deserved to die for killing his brother. But God said, I'm going to protect you. But I'm still going to punish you. And so God deserves our very best. And we need to learn and remember that sin can consume us. 
God shows mercy. And here's the last lesson. It is the important one. I am my brother's keeper. Just listen to the word, word of God. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. Romans 15 says, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. Jesus' brother James wrote, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. John in 1 John chapter 3 wrote, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who, Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And then he goes on to say, anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. Are, and you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know, excuse me, what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and our sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show it by our actions. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, absolutely. I am, you are. And because of that, that's why we do things like packing Christmas bags for kids in Guatemala or boxes for kids around the world. That's why we have life groups and we meet together, we share meals because we're caring for our brothers. That's why we give to ministries locally and internationally. It's why many of you guys sponsor children in Uganda and other places. It's why we care for orphans and widows and we visit the sick and we encourage the weak and we give to the needy. It's why we celebrate with those who are rejoicing because we're excited too. We're not jealous because they're a blessing. We're excited with them. We are all each other's keepers. I want you to just, as we finish this up this morning, I want you to just imagine for a minute. Imagine this story going another way. Imagine Cain taking the responsibility to be Abel's keeper. Not only would he not have harmed him, he would have protected him. He would have encouraged him. He would have learned something from him and done better the next time around himself. But Cain wasn't willing to do that. He wasn't proactive. He was reactive. And his reaction ended Abel's life and ruined his own. The story could have been so different. It could have been so different. And for us, it can be different. We can choose to learn. And the bottom line, we, we have a responsibility to be our brother's keeper. We have a responsibility not to harm our brother in any way, whether it be physically or emotionally, mentally. We have, we have that responsibility. We also have a responsibility, though, to hold our brother accountable, to keep them as far away from sin as possible, because not only is sin crouching at your door, it's crouching at their door. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, part of our responsibility is to hold each other accountable and to protect each other, just like we physically would our own brother and sister. 
the bottom line, the takeaway, we have a responsibility to be our brother's keepers if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ and go on this journey together. Would you guys stand with me? Maybe it's been a tough, tough week. I know it just seems like every week uh, it can't get any tougher in our community. We can't go through any more tougher stuff than, than something else happens. Maybe, maybe you've been connected to some of the tragedies that have been around us. And today, more than anything else, you need a brother or a sister to keep you, to surround you, to pray with you. And so if you do and you don't have that network already in place, while we sing, maybe you come down here and see Jason and connect you with Bobby or some other people that are in the room that we can just love on you a little bit and be our brother's keepers. Maybe the biggest thing you know you need in your life is you instinctively know, just like Cain instinctively knew that he had done something wrong. You instinctively know, I'm not living the way I should be living. And I need to get it right with Jesus. And so if that's the case, while we sing, Jason would love to talk to you about that and connect you with people that can help you on that journey. And maybe if that journey needs to lead you to the baptistry to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we can lead you on that journey as well. But today, if there's something that's just going on inside of you, while we sing this song, take a step. Maybe you just bow your head and pray. But if you need someone, take a step. Jason will help connect you to someone.
already been won, amen? It's already been won, and so we're excited. I'm glad that you were here today. It's your first time that you've ever been with us. Uh, we've got a special gift for you out at the I'm New Wall in the lobby. Uh, Brett and his team would love to greet you out there and have a gift for you. Uh, if you've been attending for a while and are thinking about maybe I want to make this my church home, uh, our next Pathways is October the 19th, back on a Tuesday night. Uh, you can sign up for it in the next step room right back there. Uh, we had six people join the church at Pathways this past uh, week, and so if that's your next step, then we encourage you to take that, and you can find out more next steps back there in that room right after service. Finally, last thing, uh, last week Jason told you about our project, and I mentioned it in the sermon, uh, for Guatemala, for Cato Nino, and the bags that we're filling for Christmas. You guys were awesome. We gave out over 200 bags last week, and that's awesome. Uh, be filling those up, bring them back. There are some more. If you didn't get a bag, want to, there's some at the table back there, and I think some out in the lobby. The one thing uh, we found out, 
don't look for Spanish Bibles. We'll just get those in bulk, okay, and fill the basket. I know some people were looking for uh, Spanish Bibles and we're having trouble with that. We will take care of that. You got to say something, right? I wondered why you were standing down there. <laughs> okay, here. I forgot all about that real quick. This is Steve Johnson. He's chairman of our elders and has a quick, and when he's done, you're dismissed. Morning. Um, the elders would like me to come and remi remind everyone that next month is Ministry Appreciation Month. Now, um, it's appropriate that we do that because it's not something we just dream up ourselves. We have a biblical instruction to do this. And uh, if you turn to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, we're told... Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Now we have one of the finest staffs I think you can find in our church. In fact, we have a number of them who have given up careers in the secular world to serve you because that's what ministry is ministry is not a job it is a service to God by serving you and so what we need like to do here in Shelby Christian is to honor them in four different ways four you say how many is, can you do number one pray pray for them Pray for good health, protection, wisdom, discernment, and encouragement. The second thing we can do is express your appreciation. Send them a note. Send them a card. Send them an email. We got all month to do it. You can even let the snail mail take care of it. The third thing we can do is a, probably the most difficult thing to do. Give your time to the ministry. Share in their work. How do you do that? Well, go to Pathways. Go to the next step. Get plugged into a ministry. And the fourth thing you can do, which we like to do here at Shelby Christian, is we collect gift cards from restaurants and stores all month of October, and then dis distribute them to all the staff equally. That way, they have an opportunity maybe to have a date night with their spouse they wouldn't normally be able to have, or a night out for dinner with the family they wouldn't be able to have, or get maybe the family that gift that they wouldn't normally be able to get. And they can ex tell their children, tell their spouse that this came from the church as their appreciation so you can bring your gift cards put them in the giving boxes or in the white buckets at the doors and at the end of the month we'll collect them all and distribute them to the staff now there's a lot of people in the staff you don't even know exist that make this church operate and this is just a way for you to reach out to them 
and say thank you. So let's close in a prayer. Heavenly Father, we just praise you and thank you that we're able to gather here to celebrate in this worship, to have this wonderful message that Dave brought us. We pray that we can go out into the world and make a change for you by using all we have learned here. In all these things we pray in glory and praise of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week.